With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, Billy King is here, former Sixers and Brooklyn Nets GM, uh, NBA TV analyst. He's on radio. He's everywhere nowadays. Billy, what's going on? You have, uh, as I see, you have a nice little pandemic office there you're working out of. I do, I do. I have uh, a few things on the back. Actually, I'm seeing the picture behind me from my wedding and uh, two basketball legends there, uh, Reggie Miller in it and uh, Kyle Korver. So, um, but everybody's working from home, so you get to see a little bit of how they live. No, uh, no Duke material there for you. I'm a little surprised by there's that. A, you know? There's a lot of Duke material. You're just not looking hard <laughs> enough. There's, there's always Duke material around. Actually, on my other show, is Larry Brown. I saw that when he was coaching at Kansas, and I was mm-hmm. the, Fire Duke, so there you go. You know what was fun watching? One of the fun parts about watching The Last Dance was watching that 98 conference finals with with the Pacers and, and the Bulls there and just just how close that was, how much respect the Bulls had for that Pacers team. And, you know, I mean, just a shot or two, like, away from, from it going in a different direction. Yeah. Well, you know, it's ironic, too, that Larry Brown and I, we had just left and got to Philadelphia – Mm. And so Larry Bird took over. They added Chris Mullen. Um, and that group of guys, I, I think I tweeted it out. They were a group of guys that everybody knew their job, they knew their role, and they did it. And there was no bickering. People didn't care how many threes Reggie shot or what Chris Mullen did. They all did their job and did it well. Um, and that's really the same thing as the Bulls. They didn't care what Dennis did, but Dennis went to play. Scotty did his job. And that's when you have a very, very good team is that they – Everybody just know their role and they do it well. I did love the image of Bird on the sidelines after Reggie made the three in Game Six to put him up with like a second or so remaining. Like not not even a flinch from Larry Bird when that. I I remember seeing that at the time, but you have a greater appreciation for like a player like Bird with literal ice in his veins that knows that a game ain't over until it's actually over. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think being on the bench with the Pacers earlier when I was with Reggie Miller and uh, what he did against the Knicks at the guard and like that, ever since then when I was a coach, no matter what, the first thing I'd always do is look at the clock. Because in college, you know, if, if you had a game winner with four seconds, you know, you usually got a chance you're going to win the game. And the pros, if there's a half a second or a full second, you know they've got a chance. And having Michael Jordan on the other side, you know, you, you would be really, really concerned. Great point. Um, the year Michael didn't play 
and we were playing at the stadium. Reggie hits a deep three, puts us up by two, and I think it was like 1.5 seconds left. Reggie takes a bow. He turns to each – took four bows at the stadium in Chicago. They come over, and Tony Kuko banks in a three, and they win. And that right there told me all about the NBA. You've got to look at the clock. But you're right, Bird is um, – his understanding of the moment and realizing it's not over because one they've got michael jordan and two there's time left what do you think we you know as someone that, that coached reggie like would we have would we look at him differently if he won a championship i mean would how much more elevated would he be if he had won a title in those years well i, I think if they would have won that series and then got to the finals and won the championship i think his status would be even higher because one they would have ended the bulls run before that you know Repeat there in Michael's last year, but then the winning championship, he would have been he would have been elevated because his heroics at the Garden are legendary. But to defeated Michael Jordan in Game Seven in Chicago, and then to go on and win a championship, it would have been he would have been on another level. Yeah, I mean championships are are so strange that how they they get treated. I had this argument recently with Dan Patrick who was we were arguing about how Rick Barry was ranked ahead of Russell Westbrook or ranked behind Russell Westbrook on ESPN's list. And it was more about, like, how good is Westbrook really? Like, if Oklahoma City had not choked away that game six in 2016 and beaten Golden State and probably gone on to win the championship that year, um, I mean, Westbrook we'd look at a lot differently, too. He wouldn't just be this numbers, you know, this this numbers stuffer type of guy, this stat stuffer type of guy. We'd look at him as as a winner. And it's just... it. On, in some ways, it is the difference in one game. Like, you you don't get the job done in one game, and your entire career is viewed entirely differently. No, you're, you're right. And, and that was Michael before they won. Because, you know, when he was at Chicago, everybody said, well, he's a great scorer, but he hasn't won. And Michael even said that in the last yeah. dance. And then once he won that championship, then he'd be like, okay, he's another level. And in his mind, he said after he won, you know, two in a row, he thought about walking away, but Michael, I mean, but Larry and Magic had never won three in a row, so that drove him to be different. Then when he went to baseball, they came back, went three in a row. It puts him on a whole different level. And that's what everybody looks at LeBron. They'll say, well, LeBron, he won it in, in Miami, he won it in Cleveland, but, you know, Michael did it all in Chicago. Uh, but winning a championship, and you're right, one game, Patrick Ewing's tipping at the Garden, game seven, our first year in Indiana, he doesn't tip that in. We go to the finals, and, you know, maybe we beat Houston – and win the championship. So it, it, it is amazing how a shot or one game defines a lot of players' careers. And people that say Michael didn't have to leave like LeBron, I mean, obviously it's true, but I mean, Michael in year three had, you know, that's when they picked up the greatest wingman in the history of basketball in Scottie <laughs> Pippen. That same draft, they draft the power forward in Horace Grant that turned out to be the the, the mainstay, the tough guy in that front court. Year five, he started working under the greatest coach in NBA history yeah. in Phil Jackson. So, I mean, it's not really fair. Like, he he had things that LeBron didn't have early yeah. in his career. He had the stars. He had the great coaches. And if, I like, I, I, I don't believe for a second that if Jordan was in the same situation LeBron was, that he wouldn't have made the same type of decision. Maybe not on TV and televised like LeBron did, but I don't think Jordan would have stayed with Cleveland forever if they had that time of team around him. Well, it, it, I think you're right. And I think with LeBron, like Jordan, they drafted Scotty, They drafted Horace Grant. And those guys developed. And Michael was still young when they drafted. It's almost like you talked about Oklahoma City when they had Westbrook. They had Durant. They drafted Ed. Um, Harden uh, there too, yeah. Harden. So, you know, they drafted Ibaka. So they had a team that developed quickly. And they just couldn't keep it together. If they'd have kept Harden and kept Ibaka, you know, how good could they have been? Um, and maybe Durant never leaves and he doesn't go to Golden State. But you're right. I think back then it wasn't the thing to do to just jump ship and go to another team uh, because a lot of people didn't have the cap space. I think early on when I first came to the league in 93, there wasn't – it was like you had slots. So if a guy left, you had a slot to replace him. If the guy was making – you know, 800,000, you had a slot to replace 800,000. It wasn't this cap where you had to maneuver, you can get under the cap and do things like Pat Riley did to create the space. So I think a lot more people became much more cap savvy and made it so that people look at it. It's LeBron when he went to the Lakers. He went there knowing that, hey, this, it may take some time. 
And the first year struggled. They had some caps where they get they were able to get a trade where Durant, I mean, AD goes there. So you're able to build a team a lot easier um, than nowadays than back then. Back then, you pretty much had to go through the draft. Yeah, and I mean, the it's like the only way they were able to get Dennis Robin in Chicago was because they had that overpriced contract of Will Purdue. Like they could trade yeah. Will Purdue's two million for Robin's two. Imagine, imagine two million being considered <laughs> overpriced. <laughs> it's like two millions. Like that's like go away money. It's like ten day yeah. contracts nowadays in today's. Yeah, uh, yeah the people give. We'll give you two million to take this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, for you get two million, you get like three second round picks or yeah. for for those types of transactions. I'm curious your reaction to how Jerry Krause was portrayed in in the documentary. I wrote this week that I I thought he was he was done dirty in a lot of ways. And like I had one GM tell me recently that like this isn't a documentary, it's a movie, right? It's you know, here's the villain in Krause, here's the hero in Jordan. It's it's got plenty of truth in it, but it's it's a it's viewed through a certain prism. It's not done in a traditional documentary type of way. All that being said, I mean I think there's people, Billy, that either knew little about Kraus or nothing about Kraus, that if they just watched that documentary, they came away thinking he was just a caretaker, which couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the guy had plenty of warts to him like pl- and made plenty of mistakes along the way. We can get into all that, but he did draft Pippen and, and, uh, and Horace Grant. He did trade for Bill Cartwright. He did trade for Dennis Rodman. Um, you know, you did elevate Phil Jackson when Phil Jackson was nobody like Phil Jackson was a CBA coach contemplating going into like the law at some point, you know, out in Albany. I mean, what was your take on that? And and what was your perception in the nineties in the NBA? And and I guess subsequently being around Jerry Krause as an executive. Well, you know, they did portray him a certain way. I, I think a lot of it, some statements that Jerry made organization wins championships. Jerry said they didn't use the whole quote. Um, and I think they, a lot of those guys use that as motivation to go out and play. Uh, when he drafted Kuko, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to show that this guy is not what Jerry Krause thinks. Um, but I did like at the end when Scotty said, you know, I was fortunate to play with the best basketball in the world, the best NBA coach, and best GM. Uh, I think Scotty did acknowledge that. And I think they all acknowledged the role that Jerry played there. And sometimes as management, you are the villain. Uh, because you do have to trade guys. You do have to make decisions that aren't popular, but that's your job. Just as, as Michael was on the court, you know, that was Jerry's job to do, make tough decisions and do things. And, um, I, you know, the movie, I think it portrayed facts, but it also could have portrayed a lot. It could have um, talked a lot about the, the great picks. Like picking Tony Kukup where he did, even at, you know, they had to wait for him, was a great selection mm-hmm. to – to draft Scottie Pippen and you know and to make the trade to get up to get him um, was it was another great move. Um, understanding what type of players they need to put around Michael for him to be successful. You know they didn't have a lot of guys that were great scores, but they had a lot of guys that fit their roles. And Scottie elevated to be an All Star uh, to go get Dennis Robin at the right time. Um, I think he made a lot of great moves. As a person, um, I enjoyed Jerry. Uh, we would have conversations. I'd call him, you know, trying to see if he was going to make moves. And I think that when we traded for Tony Kuko, and whenever I would call Jerry, the beginning would be we'd be on the phone talking about fishing stories. He'd tell him about his fishing stories. He'd tell him about his grandkids. And and we would talk, and then we'd get around to the basketball, probably the latter part of it. Um, for me, that was the enjoyable part of the job. Uh, talking to a Jerry Krause and learning about him as a person, what he did away from the court, talking to a Jerry West. Um, you didn't get that. When I went to Brooklyn, you started getting texts, would you do this? And I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you, we, we call and we talk for 30 minutes and, and you, you know, but now it's, you know, would you make this trade? No. Okay. What about this? And, and that, that was the translation, but Jerry was, uh, and when you saw him in the gym, Jerry would say hi, but he was on a mission. He'd get to a seat. Somewhere when be having a staff away from everybody, and he was going to focus on watching guys and talking to staff, and he didn't want anybody interrupting that. Yeah, I mean, one of the the better scouts of, of his generation, like certainly was a committed guy to scouting. And you know, my, my you know sort of ten thousand foot you know understanding of the initial kind of friction between Jordan and Kraus was. Like Krauss told him in '85, like you can't play with a broken foot or with a bad yeah. foot. Like we've got to, 
which is like the GM's job. Now, again, you can argue with the delivery of it, which I think Michael took some exception to, where you know Krause is effectively treating him like property. And, and if you're a player like Michael Jordan, you can't uh, agree to that. And the Kukoc stuff. Now, Krause could have maybe toned down the fawning over Tony Kukoc over the years. Didn't have to you know, lavish praise on a playmaking forward when he had a playmaking forward already there in Chicago. But those, you can't argue with the calls, can you? Like, Michael, year two, bad foot. Doctor says back then you may permanently injure yourself. Shut up. Don't play. Kukoc available with a, in the second round, a player of that caliber. Like, he got Kukoc before everybody in his position started, like, hunting the Tony Kukoc's of the <clears throat> world. Like, wanted them. So, I just don't think I – th- I feel like the genesis of the friction, it, it was just f- ham-handedly handled. Like, Jerry made the right decisions, but he could have handled them and done them in a more p- player-sensitive way. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, where the job is now. It's it's understanding players and getting them to understand your, your thought process. Um, and I think back then it was, you know, we're management, your players, and you just play and I think as players' salaries rose and their stature in the league rose, you couldn't just do that anymore. Um, I know what Allen at times, when he's, he's Allen Iris, when he'd say he'd be hurt and he couldn't play, you know, we would hide his jersey, wouldn't bring it to the arena because if his jersey was there, he'd want to get it. One time, I think we were playing in, at the garden, he was hurting, his jersey was there, and he said, We, we don't have any shoes. He said, He's looking around, who, who, you know, hey, what size shoe you wear? Not, you, yeah, you're not going to play. Let me use your shoes. Or try to send a ball boy to the to the footlocker and just get a pair of, you know, give me a pair of Iversons off the shelf. Um, and so there are times, and at that moment, the player is mad. And I always used to try to follow it up with conversation where you understand why we were doing it. Um, because you didn't want it to linger. And I think back then, you know, because I knew Bob Ferry when he was – uh, general manager of the Bullets, they just made decisions. And they, there wasn't a lot of interaction, players and coaches, as it, I mean, GMs and coaches as today. It was more coach dealt with the players, the GM made decisions, and GM usually weren't around the, to talk to the players. I think nowadays you've got to be available. you got to talk to them. And, and that was the difference in Krauss. I think it, it, nowadays GMs would do a much better job that rookie year of getting to know Michael Michael understand them and engaging them in the process of building a team and going forward so that when you do have to make a tough decision, they have trust and belief in you. Yeah, you definitely have to build a relationship from day one. No question uh, about that. Uh, Two aspects of the documentary that strained belief to me. One was, I mean, the poison pizza story. I mean, come on. Like, let's – the. First, it was the flu game. Then it was was it the hangover game, and now it's the poison pizza game. I don't know if you saw the, yeah. the pizza guy apparently called the radio station in Utah. I listened to the interview. It was he basically called bullshit on everything that Michael and Tim Grover and those guys were saying in the documentary. I'll tell you what, Billy, like th- that, like there's just no way, like there's no way that you make a call to a pizza place at 10.30, like, you're not going to say, can you deliver a pizza to Michael Jordan? Like, that's not going to happen. Moreover, not to disparage pizza makers of America, but I can't fathom them being chemists, that they can (laughs) figure out, like, what to put on the pizza that'll make Michael Jordan just sick enough to maybe not be able to play the next day. I mean, I don't don't believe that. I, I don't know why, like, I don't know why it's so hard to come clean with this stuff. Like, you know, one thing that was seemingly verified from the interview of that pizza guy was that Michael was in his room. Like, so he wasn't in Vegas or, you know, yeah. doing whatever. And I mean, if he had a hangover, like that would have been some serious drinking in your hotel room by yourself. Yeah. But I don't like that to me. I, when I heard that story, I was like, come on, like that can't be real. What was your reaction to that? Well, I mean, it was something because it was new. It was something that everybody thought it was the flu. And maybe maybe it was food poisoning and just happened to be something that was bad in the pizza and just it wasn't something they I think maybe did on purpose. It could have just because there are a lot of times where guys order room service and something comes in and then just maybe something in the fridge that the ingredient could have been bad and they ate it. Um, you know, at ten thirty maybe they were closing and you know something they were throwing away didn't realize it and put it on the pizza and served it. Uh, but the, the, the only where I was questioning it was 
like you said, how do they know that he said this pizza's from Michael Jordan? So to me, it's like <laughs> it could have been going to Steve Kerr or somebody else and just going to the hotel. So that to me is where I just, but it could have been food poisoning. I don't know if it was intentional. It could have been, I guess, but I mean, God, nobody's eaten more pizza than me over the last two decades. And I have never gotten sick from eating, uh, eating a pizza. And like T- Tim Grover had a book that came out a couple of years ago. And he did countless interviews for that book. And I'm sure during those interviews, he was asked something about the flu game or whatever. Like, this never came up. Like, this, like, Grover, like, and this isn't some, like, you know, story that you need to keep close to the vest. It's about a pizza. And and I guess if you're around Michael Jordan, you have to protect all the secrets, no matter how innocuous they are. But, like, that to me was surprising. Like, why didn't that come up before now? Why is it now pizza and not flu? Or something maybe he picked up you know, a day earlier that just kind of manifested itself yeah. in, in the next day in Utah. I mean, that, that, that was just weird. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that to me, yeah, I don't doubt the food poisoning. I just don't know if it was an intention. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that part of it. This is it. We've got an Amex platinum pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center. Center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more significant um, ending to that, or interesting note in that, uh, that documentary at the end, you know, Jordan remains this day convinced that they could have brought the band back together and won championship number seven. Now, my thing take on it, Billy, is that there's no way that band was getting back together. Like, you have Scottie Pippen, who throughout the entire documentary, you note that he's pissed off about his money, like wants yeah. to get paid. The idea that Scottie Pippen was going to come back on a one-year deal when he had $75 million on the table from Houston, nonsense to me. Not when he knows his body, he knows it's breaking down. Uh, similarly, Steve Kerr and Luke Longley both got the richest contracts of their careers after that season. Now, if it had been like championship number 10 and like you could join like the Russells and Koozies and whatever, but there really isn't much special to number seven. It really is mostly special just to to Michael Jordan. So I'm not sure what you thought at the time like about the logistics of it, but I, I just never, I never believe, regardless, regardless of what you think about, it, if they came back, would they even be the best team in basketball? I mean, obviously, Rodman was towards the end at that point. Pippen was banged up. Longley wasn't the same player. But at the time, did you think that team was improperly broken up and 
and should have been kept together for one more year? Well, the, the one thing, I would not have been across and said this is going to be his last year, yeah. regardless if he was 82-0. and 0. Because by saying that, then you had no chance of bringing him back together. Because it was, you know, Phil wasn't, you know, I would have gone into it and said, look, we're all going into it. And at the end of the year, we'll sit down and talk and see if we can bring this together. Um, it would have been, I think, pieces of it probably would not have been. Oh, the pressure that would have been put on the Bulls. If Phil said, yes, I'm coming, I'll come back for a year. Michael, I'll come back for a year. Then the pressure would have been put on Reinsdorf because if you got Phil Jackson agreeing to come back, Michael agreeing to come back, now do you not give Scottie Pippen that $75 million contract? Do you not? Maybe Curry you don't bring back. Maybe, but, but the thing about it is I think it would have been tough for Reinsdorf for them to say, okay, we got Michael back, Phil back. We're not going to pay Scottie and let him go because then that may have caused Michael them to leave. And then it had been on Reinsdorf. So, it may have been in Jerry's mind by saying it. He's never come back, knowing that that will force the breakup because, you know, knowing Phil, he wouldn't want to come back. And I think in Phil's mind, he probably knew it would have been pretty hard to put the group back together and to go back and try to beat the Pacers again because, you know, the next year Indiana does get to the finals. And so looking at it, Phil probably said, I don't know if we can duplicate what we just did. It's probably best to walk away at this point in time. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, like I look at the players and what they were, and maybe Robin would have been better with that group and with that coach, but he only played 35 games over the next two years. Like he was effectively done after he left Chicago. Pippen flamed out pretty quickly in Houston. You know, had some decent years at, towards the end of Portland, whatever, but he was never the same player. Longley was never the same player. I mean, I, I look at Krause's original sin here. You know, you're right about the whole don't say you're not coming back. Like, don't yeah. take a team that just won two championships and say, even if you win a third, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're not coming back. That's nonsense. But his his greater sin is not... Like, if he had broken up that team and then rebuilt it into a winner, yeah. we'd be talking about Jerry Krause completely differently. The problem is he broke up that team and under his stewardship, they never achieved uh, anything ever again. Yeah, well, because I, I think that, you know... As great as his, his finding of Scotty Pittman, I think he reached a little bit with the, I think the Griffin and the Chandler right out of high school because they had Elton Brand mm-hmm. trading him to get those two high school players. Um, and at times as scouts, you, you do. You think, okay, if we can – these guys, we're going to project them out. Rather than going to college in three years, they'll be – you know, if they were in college in three years, they'll be one or two. So, you know, but they always say once you give guys money, you never know how they are going to – become as players, you know, is that same worth that after going to be there, especially as young guys. But that you're right. If, if he would have been able to redo it, um, you know, it's almost like you know, Bill Belichick. If he's able to go do it again this year without Brady and win again, and maybe not this year, but in two or three years, then it's like, you know, hats off to him because, you know, that that's an incredible run to, to be able to do that. But very few teams, once you have that great run, San Antonio had a great run, it's hard now to put it back together because what Chicago had when they started, they had Michael when he was young, Scotty, all those guys young. And so they grew up together. And so when they, they knew each other, they knew the culture. When you bring new people in and try to recreate that culture, you don't know, you need that leader. And Chicago never had that leader that made everybody follow uh, San Antonio, that Tim Duncan. They didn't, they don't have that Tim Duncan where everybody, whatever pop says, they're going to echo and do. Um, and that, that to me, like in Philadelphia, when we made it to the finals with Allen and Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, Dikembe, you know, I knew that was a magical year. I knew that there's no way that same thing constructed could get back to the finals. So we traded Tyrone Hill and started to sort of put ourselves in position to start retooling and rebuilding because um, I just knew that team itself wasn't going to be able to have another magical run. Yeah, that's the – the hardest thing for a GM to do, at least from my perspective, is to be early on decisions. Like yeah. it's it's almost easier to. And look, in the 1990s, um, you had, you know, the Bulls had watched Boston do just that, kind of sort of decompose, you know, internally, and then go into a rebuilding process that looked like it was never going to end. I mean, they were so yeah. bad in the mid 1990s, and like that if you see that if that there's some recency to that you, you that's got to be daunting if you're if you're yeah there. but 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 I, you got to look at Boston and there was two players that they lost 
that really affected them more than anything, Lynn yeah. Bias and, and Reggie Lewis. Uh, I think if those two players were to live and continue to play, I don't think that slide would have been as tough. Probably the interesting team, team that, that's current now we're watching that is Dallas is because they won their championship. Mark didn't bring anybody back. And they went, you know, they had dirt, dirt to the end. And all of a sudden now there's a Luca, you know, they get Porzingis. And now are they on that next trajectory back to winning a championship? That, and that would be Donnie Nelson. So it will be interesting to see if they can be one of the first teams to do that. You know, Miami did it with Wade, uh, brought in a couple guys and won. But now they're trying that same thing. Now we've, they're trying to rebuild it. But I think Dallas is probably the closest to a team that, that can they do it. Uh, the Lakers won with Shaq, won with Gasol, but the costume was Kobe. So I think it goes back to my point. If Michael was willing to stay and keep playing and Phil kept coaching, yeah, they probably could have won a championship in two or three years with the pieces because you had a great player in Michael. Yeah, yeah, you could have rebuilt without rebuilding as long as those two yeah. guys were were still around. A um, couple of uh, questions for you on where we are right now. I mean, you, you talk to people throughout the league and you see what's going on. I mean, what's your level of confidence that that we will see basketball before the end of the season? And Billy, I, I don't even want to... Like, I was talking to a couple people this week. Like, I don't even want to call it like a continuation of the season. It's not. It, it's a new season. Like, yeah. everything is new. Like... Bojan Bogdanovic is now out for the rest of the year in Utah. Like Ben Simmons is back in Philadelphia. Like this, this feels you can't, it's going to be called a continuation and a champion. If there is one will be called the 1920 champion, but it just doesn't feel like that's what it will actually be. Yeah. And and I think that's the problem. Like you look at Bojan having surgery. That was, I think the dilemma for him is how long is this going to take to finish this season? Then I have surgery. When is the next season going to start? Will I be ready to come back in time? And I think he had to make that decision based on his his career uh, to be ready for next season, not knowing what the uncertainty of this season. And that, to me, is the biggest concern is all the uncertainty. Um, financially, it's going to be hit no matter what. But the security, the uncertainty of playing. And I know, Adam, they said well, if one guy gets sick, then they'll isolate him. But if he just played – you know, say they played three games in five nights and all of a sudden he gets sick. Now there's two other teams you got to test. And what if two or three of those guys test positive? I mean, then is it going to affect the other guys like saying, wait a minute, I don't want to play. I worry that there's just too many variables going into it that you, you don't know. Even in two weeks when Adam's going to make his decision, there's not going to be enough answers to, to give, you know, to say, okay, it's safe. We're going to do it and it's going to work. Um, baseball, you know, it's outdoors. There's not as direct contact. Football is a lot further away when they can play. I just worry about the NBA trying to force it and looking at the financials and say, we got to do this for the financial. I'd much rather them sit down with the union and say, look, we may have to scrap this. Let's figure out a way that we can salvage the cap, set a number that's reasonable. Let's figure out how we can make sure that guys can make money, but owners aren't losing much money. And let's solve it. Let's get ready to set next season start. Maybe we push next season back to November because the problem is as you go in the next summer when you get to that flu season everybody gets their flu shots but players are going to be sick and then they're going to get tested so I just think that there's just too many unanswered questions for them to try to say we're going to force this down because of the financial hit that we're going to take a lot of these owners are businessmen and they look at it and they have business that they just write off debt and say okay it was a bad year we're going to write it off let's move forward and correct it down the road to try to force this issue just because TV may want it, um, I think it could be – what you don't want to do is make a decision now to save this season and affect next season <laughs> because then, you, then you're affecting two full seasons or, and then, then you have a bigger financial hit. So to me, I, I would lean to just saying, you know, we're going to cancel the season, let the players who need to get surgery get surgery – maybe push the draft back to July for agency back to August 1st and let's get the offseason going because even if you try to come back for regular season games, what's the incentive for Golden State? If they got what, 17 games, 15 games left to play, they're out of it. Mm-hmm. So what's the incentive for Steph Curry to go out there and play in these 15 games, even though he is on the contract? God forbid he gets hurt in one of those games. Now he's out next season. Or Draymond Green, you know, these guys are going to say, wait a minute, I'm coming back to play. I know I'm on the contract but we're not making the playoffs. I mean, 
So they, maybe you just start where you just go playoffs right away, and then, okay, the teams want to make the playoff, they play. But I just think you can't make decisions that are going to affect next season. Um, there's just too much uncertainty out there. It's like right now, they're going to open up restaurants pretty soon. I don't see a lot of people running to go sit at a restaurant and to eat food and uh, and just to be there. I mean, there'll be some young people that, that say, I, I want to do it, but I don't think people are rushing to get back there. So that's what worries me about the NBA. NASCAR, yeah, they can get in the car and drive. It's you know, But basketball, it's a contact sport. You go back to when Magic Johnson tested positive for HIV and the players were – the concerns they had there with the blood and everything, and we didn't know much about the HIV at that point in time. And then when Magic came back, he still felt that there was – still the stigma out there and when he finally walked away. This is this to me is even worse because it's not a cut where blood is transferred. It could just be through the eyes or or a guy cough. And these guys are very close. So a long answer, I just think there's just too much uncertainty for them to make a decision to continue to play. I know Adam is doing everything he can. So when he does make a decision, he can say, this is everything we did to make this decision. Um but I just, I just worry that it's, you know, and it's not just the players. You're talking referees who are older. You're talking coaches. You're talking trainers. There's a lot more people that are involved in this. Than, and if you're not doing it in a controlled environment, and if you're going to do it in a controlled environment in Vegas or Orlando, okay, you're going to put them in a bubble, a campus, and say, okay, just stay on this campus. Well, if they're all in Orlando or in Vegas, where do you think all these people that, that adore these guys, they're going to fly there, they're going to try to get around them and, it just, I think you're just creating enough um, a situation that you can make worse. Yeah, no, that's those are all great points. And one, as I'm listening to you, one that, you know, I think is going to become a bigger one is, you know, talking to the union. Because if you decide to come back this year, you know, that sort of tables the conversation about next year, which I think is a bigger conversation yeah. with the union. Because then you're talking about, you know, potentially an 82-game season that's done a quarter or a half or whatever without fans. And that's a pretty contentious conversation for how much money players are going to make. And we're starting to see signs of it with baseball. Like baseball players are balking at any kind of rev share or reduction in salary, which, you know, as we sit here speaking, I think it's going to really jeopardize the baseball season. I don't think they're going to get a deal done the next couple of weeks or months to... And that's something, Billy, that they're... That you know, I know Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver have a great relationship or a really good relationship, but uh, I, that's that's a fight that I think is coming down the pike. Well, but I think the baseball one there's a there's a bigger issue there because their collective bargaining expires after next baseball season. Yeah, and I think the players don't want to get involved in any revenue sharing because they know that's that opens up the door to be revenue sharing into the next collective and bargain. Basically so a I salary cap. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think they're sitting there saying we don't want any part of revenue sharing because it gives them an avenue to show, hey, see this work, we can continue this on. So I think that's that's more of the issue for them than um than than, than just playing and giving up money right now. I think they're looking at their negotiation coming up down the road. Um, but for the union and the in the NBA, I think you're right though, because it that's why I think if you cancel this season, do everything you can to try to do it. But if you end up canceling, then you've got to really have to sit down and have some serious discussions about where things are going to go revenue wise going forward, because it's going to be, and, and I think the play, the, the owners have the opt out in this, uh, that they push back. So it could lead to that where the owners say, okay, fine. They don't want to do, they don't want to agree to any numbers. We want to agree to We'll just opt out and start all over again. Cause they've got the TV deal locked in place. So, um, it's going to be a bigger, bigger discussion uh, going forward, I think, um, especially if they don't play this season. But I think even if they do play, because the cap's going to take a hit. Um, and they're going to want to try to smooth it out so it don't take as big a hit. Um, and um, So I think you're going to have some owners saying, if they don't want to do this, let's just opt out of it and we'll start over. Um, and that's where it's interesting, Michelle, they, they were looking for a replacement. Now they're not because they want her to ride this out and I think she should because she's been in the driver's seat from the beginning but it's it everybody's talking safety but if it's baseball it's basketball it's coming down to revenue it's coming down to economics at the end of the day it's all about economics that's the whole thing about this pandemic right now 
reopening. It's about economics because in the, the day, money's going to money's driving all this opening up uh, all the the rules that we put out that the president put out that we had to follow to open. No, they open up because they know they need. Everybody knows we got to get the country back uh, for the economic part of it. And I think that's the same thing with basketball. I think the same thing with baseball. It is safety first, but it is going to it's going to come down to economics real soon with the NBA, whether they play or don't play, because the numbers are going to take a hit either way. Yeah, I agree with with all that. It it always comes down to money, and that's that's where it's going to stop ultimately with uh, with basketball. The the other th- part of it is. Um, you know, there was momentum for starting the season around Christmas time anyway. You know, we know the Steve Coonan pitch, which I'm sure you'd heard before, and, yeah. and others have had this this type of feeling that, you know, it's better for basketball's health to get away from football, start around Christmas, and play into July, August. You know, pandemic aside, what were your thoughts on that when you first heard it? I mean, were you are you a believer that the summer basketball makes sense? Do you prefer the schedule as is? What were your thoughts on it? I'm not a big believer of summer basketball just because I think that, you know, if you look at college basketball, you know, everybody gets up for March Madness, April. And then, you know, once March Madness ends, you it goes into Masters. And then you got the golf, you know, you got the, the U.S. Open. You got different things that people – then once you get to June, people are going to the beach. And so, you know, in New York City, for example, every, you know, a lot of the people are going out east to buy tickets for the garden, uh, Madison Square Garden. In Boston, they're, they're going to the Cape, they're going to the Vineyard. And so now you're going to play basketball games, you know, NBA Finals in late July. Are people going to be saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to make sure I go back? No, they're going, they may watch it on TV. Um, but I just think that, you know, college basketball has some great games in November. You know, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, they play early. And it's just part of When I was in Philadelphia, we just made sure we avoided the Eagles as much as possible when we put the dates in there, our buildings available, I would say we'll play either Sunday or Monday, whichever the Eagles aren't playing. Then once the football schedule came up, Matt Winnick would say, okay, the Eagles are playing Mondays, you're going to play Sunday. You're not going to run away from it. Um, I think you know, football, the Super Bowl now, it goes on, I think it goes till February. <laughs> and so you, you're, going to have, you're going to run up to it then. And what I worry is more in the summertime, just because people are ingrained of doing, they're going to the beach, they're doing, you know, kids are baseball. During the winter, you know, in November, and that's part of basketball. Um, do people, I, I think what the problem is, there's so many games on, you can, there's no reason to go to a game because you can get it on the, on the, on the you know, league pass or every game's on TV. And the ticket prices have gotten to the point where it's much easier just to watch it on TV. So I don't worry as much about, I think you got to fix the game itself. Uh, I think the game has become shoot as many threes, you know, 130, 150. It's great. It's up and down, but it's not a compelling, like, okay, they, they got to get a stop this possession. If there's 30 seconds, teams think, okay, if they score, we, we got time out. We're going to get another score. So, you know, and to me, I think you, the team, like Chicago, you're watching those games, Chicago, when they're winning last night, they're winning game 90 to 85 and they were great games because every possession mattered. I don't think every possession matters in an NBA game anymore. So it's hard for fans to stay engaged because my son, who's 12, he'll watch it and watch YouTube on his phone and look up for maybe the big plays because every possession doesn't matter. Um, and that, to me, that's where you got to get back where the game matters, the possession matters. Fix the game, the product, and I think people will tune in more. Oh, that's a good point because I'm, I'm watching – the documentary and watching old Jordan highlights and like coaches today wouldn't allow him to shoot like that. Like the <laughs> low percentage baseline fadeaway that Jordan was known for, like he'd get chastised for that nowadays. Mid range jumpers are like, I mean, they're, they're grounds for benching at this yeah. point. Like it's all. Yeah, I mean, when I came into free coaching throws. NBA 93, I mean, it was, you get to the hole. You know, got to get to the end. And where guys got to the foul line, Allen Iverson averaged over 30, but he shot, I think, 15 free throws. And the, when he, you know, so he was, when he was 80% free throw shooter, he averaged over 30. And it wasn't these ticky-tack fouls. It was going to the hole and guys knocking on his butt and get two free throws. Nowadays, I think it's, you know, guys just space out and the guy try to drive, kick it, shoot a three. And, and um, But you're right, though. 
the game has changed, but to, to me, and I may be an old school guy, I just think it's a com- compelling game because every possession matters. If you watch college basketball, no March Madness. Every possession matters in college basketball when they're coming down. They're not, you know, guys running in their score. It's a big deal because, you know, you may not get that easy shot again. Um, and they do – some teams do shoot a lot of threes, but it's it, – it is a game where, you know, they grind it out a little more. And I, and I think – I know the NBA back then thought the games were too slow. People didn't like it. So now we the pendulum has swung so much now where it's – I mean, you look at some scores, it's 140 to 150 and – and it's not. To, it's fun to watch, but it's not that appealing to me. I enjoyed watching Golden State because I thought they were a very good. They shot a lot of threes, but they were a very good defensive team. Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Trey. Um, you know, kidding. But I mean, they guarded you, Draymond. They guarded you, and then they shot the threes. There are a lot of teams now that still want to play that way, but they don't want, don't want to guard you on the other end. San Antonio, when they they won the championship, they guarded you, and they scored. Yeah, uh, Miami, Pat Riley, even down there now, they'll they look to guard you. They'll hit you, but and they'll shoot some threes. But they're trying to guard you and limit your possession. Quinn Snyder, Utah. I mean, they're a very good defensive team. They become a better scoring team. That, but, but they guard you. Yeah, got to mention the Duke guy at the end, of course. You gotta- uh, always, you know, if you notice, Duke sort of <laughs> is always weaved in and out. You know, when you're everywhere, it's hard not to. Uh, last question for you. The <laughs> among, the, among the talking points for uh, you know things moving forward is might be when to hold the draft. As a GM, would you prefer the draft to be the week before free agency as it is, or the week after, say mid July in a regular calendar? You know, I've heard that debate back and forth, and I, I would like it afterwards. Um, the only dilemma is potential trades if you're trying to create space. Uh, I think it would make it more compelling because people would be trying to move picks to create more space for that free agency at the beginning. Uh, but I do like it after for the fact because now you're – because so much energy is put on that draft and all of a sudden you go right into free agency and, you know, you draft a guy and you're trading his rights. If you've already built your team through free agency, now you're focused on the draft. I don't think you'll see as many trades as much because I think people say – you know, you will see trades people who be trying to get – guys that fill holes that they didn't do in the free agency. Uh, I would like it to be afterwards. Um, the one thing I like to draft that I wish instead of a lot of students, kids to go back to college if they get drafted. Um, because if you get drafted, you don't like your selection or you know, go back and the team retain your rights until I think yours. If you stay all four years, say you left after your freshman year and you got drafted, you went back, that team retains your rights until your senior year. So then you've got to stay in college or you're going to still go to that team. Uh, if you come out of high school, you can get drafted, go play in college. Because on the pros, it's a risk. You're taking a kid now, he's going to go play college, and you're hoping he stays healthy. But I, that's one rule I like to change is let kids go back to college if they get drafted. Get drafted, go to college, and now they're not as worried about, I got to play. I think the college game be better, and then they, prepare, they become better players. I do like the G League, uh, letting kids come right on. I, I think you should let kids come right on high school anyway and go right to the NBA. Um, because I think it's a, it's a sham to say, hey, you're going to go to college for one and done. That's the rules. Everybody's doing it. But I think you, it should be like baseball. If you go to college, you stay for three years, or if you're going to go pro, go pro right away. But then also if you're drafted, you can go back to college as well. So I put a lot of rules in there, but I think it, <laughs> it, it, there's so much pressure on these kids to make a decision. I got to go pro. I got to pull my name out and they don't have all the information. Let them stay in. If a team's willing to draft them and they're willing to go back to college because they got to hope the school has a spot for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't allow them to transfer if I was the NCAA. If you're going to go back, go back to the school you left. But, um, but I wouldn't allow them to transfer once that decision is made. Yeah. It's like the hockey formula where you get drafted, but you can go back um, in yeah. college hockey and, and do it that way. I think there's a lot of merit to that argument. Uh, as well. Uh, Billy, always appreciate your time, man. Always learn something and uh, always great to talk to you, man. Hope you uh, hang in there during uh, this pandemic paradise as we head to the summer welcome. months. You learn something now? I mean, sometimes, you know, okay. periodically. Uh, yeah. Didn't yeah. know. I, I try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Billy. You're welcome. Take care.
at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.